Now, having said that, uh, we're in Galatians chapter 16, the last portion in chapter 6. Uh, those are written in your bulletins on page 4. And please stand if you can, if you would, for the reading of God's word. Galatians chapter 6, verses, verses 11 through 18. See with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire uh, to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon you and upon the Israel of God. From now on let no one trouble you, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Let's end the reading of God's words. Please be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we have gathered here uh, because we are yours and we form the spiritual sanctuary together as living stones to, to be the house in which you dwell in your spirit. Lord, that is one thing we earnestly seek and ask, that you will bless this gathering with your presence. And we believe that you have done so because that's your promise that where two or, gather, two or three are gathered in my name, I shall be in their midst. Lord, at this moment, uh, we ask that you will open our hearts and prepare our hearts to receive your holy word for our spiritual nourishment, faith, wisdom, and strength and power to overcome the world. Lord, teach us through your word. May your people be strengthened and alive in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we read through the book of Galatians, I think Paul's been really a repetitive. He talks about the same thing over and over again, and especially the issue of circumcision. Because he's, he's talked about this several times already, and he, 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 he talks about this again once more in the closing section uh, in this uh, portion in, in chapter 6 in the book of Galatians. Now, to require keeping the law for the sake of justification is to deny the cross of Jesus Christ. Paul says, if you depend on the law for acquiring justification, then you're automatically denying the grace, the grace by the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not is either A or B, never A and B, never the law and Christ. Just like the Catholics argue, had a uh, had a counseling uh, section uh, yesterday with uh, a lady from the KM, and she's 
from Catholic uh, in-law family background and the, the in-law family is forcing her to go to Catholic church. You know, why do you go to, you know, Protestant church or covenant church? You know, go to Catholic church. You know, we all go to Catholic church. And I had to explain to her the difference between the Catholic church and, and Protestant church. That there's fundamental difference. Catholics claim, they don't deny Christ. They claim to believe in Jesus Christ. But they have something more, something else on top of believing in Jesus Christ. And, and when Jesus Christ is not 100%, that is wrong. That is wrong Christ. That is not the Christ from the Bible. He must be everything. He must be 100%. He must be complete and sufficient. Nothing else. You cannot add anything else on top of what he has done. There's no room for human participation in the work of the gospel. He alone is is the foundation for our salvation and justification and nothing else. And, and Galatians were teaching the wrong doctrine. And Paul says, anathema, let them be accursed. By arguing that, okay, you, you, know, you, you should not deny Christ. You must believe in Jesus Christ. But there's something more you have to do to be justified or to stay justified. All those are wrong doctrines. And, and Paul says again, anathema, let them be accursed. Now, today, however, we're not going to spend much time talking about the law versus grace because we have talked about this multiple times. And today, I, I, I'd like to tweak the, 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 the text a little bit. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to talk about something totally different. And, and it's to talk about the world versus Christ. To talk about the world versus Christ. And what it means to, to be dead to the world and to be alive in Christ. So we're going to focus on and especially verse 14, when Paul says, Far be it from me to boast except in the, in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. Now, what does it, what does it mean when, when Paul says, The world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. Now, what does that mean to him, and what does that mean? What, what, would that, what is supposed that... What, mean to us? Well, in the immediate context, or in the context of the book of Galatians, Paul denies the world's religious system of justification by works of the law. You know, the world has been crucified to me, the, 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 the religious system in the world that argue, that promote the human participation in the work of justification, that's been crucified to me. According to the system, religious system in the world, regardless of the religion. Now you study Buddhism or Confucianism or, or, or anything else. They all require men's efforts and work to achieve God's acceptance and heaven. The Christianity, now they talk about final justification. You know, Catholics are... are are arguing that you know we will be justified, our justification will be decided finally when Jesus Christ comes back or when we die and go and stand before him and he will give us verdict. Okay, you have been good enough. Your faith and works have been good enough to be justified. You go to heaven. Or you're not good enough. You go to hell. Or you just... So, so, you, know, you can work a little bit harder in purgatory, 
which is not in the Bible. That's the world's religious system. But Christianity begins with justification. We're not talking about final justification. Justification is our starting point. Heaven is starting point. We're not trying to earn heaven. Heaven is given to us at the beginning. That's the difference. And that's what we call grace. And someone says grace stands for God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. Everything is given to us freely at Christ's expense. He paid for everything. And this is the main point of the book of Galatians. Our justification and salvation are not by the works of the law, not as a result of, the, of our keeping the law, but by God's grace in Christ Jesus. However, for today's sermon, like I said, I would like to, I'd, like to talk, I'd like for us to think about what it means to be dead to the world and why should we have the world crucified to us. Not, in, not just in the religious you know, sense, but in every sense. Now in verse 14, Paul talks about some kind of separation between him and the world. The world has been crucified to me. In other words, the world is dead to me. And I die to the world. Now, what does it mean by that? Well, it does not mean that Paul left the world. Or he lived in isolation, separate from everything else or everyone else. That's not what he meant. He was still living in the world, interacting with all kinds of people, as we read and study in in, in many books that he wrote. However... You know, we, we say this all the time. Even though he was in the world, but he was not of the world. Now, what does that mean? When we say we're in the world, but not of the world. Now, here's the point I'm trying to make. Here's the question I'm trying to put before you and me. Do we live as people of the world or people of Christ? Now, we are, pe- we are the people of Christ. We, we belong to Christ in our position. Our identity, we are Christ, we belong to Him, but do we actually live as His followers or as the people still following the world? Even though we Christians belong to Christ, I'm afraid that we often live a life that is not so much different from that of non-believers especially in our approach to the world. We, for, for example, if we're, not, if we're not careful, and if you're honest, we often want the same things than they want. We often you know, crave for the same things that, that they want, they crave for. We want wealth. Maybe not as much, but we still do. We want fame, recognition, success, security, retirement. And again, I'm not saying these are wrong, wrong things to, to, you know, to ask, to seek. But what is our primary desire? What is what is our 
primary goal in life. Let me put it this way, in another way. Is the world our friend or our enemy? Let's just make sure about this. Is the world our friend or our enemy? I mean, we are to love, not to hate. You know, we are to love our neighbors. But that does not mean that the world is our friend. What does the Bible teach us about the world? Should we maintain a positive view of the world or a negative view of the world as, 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 a, as believers? Now, we are to live, you know, positively by faith. We are to love and give and have positive attitude by faith. But should, can we have a positive view of the world? Is it a good place to live? live in or the things of the world are good what I think the more important issue is that it's not about our subjective opinions about the world what is more important is how God wants us to view the world or what the word of God teaches about the world And I believe the Bible views the world very negatively. I mean, the Bible teaches to love, love our neighbors and to pray that the kingdom of God will come. That doesn't mean that this world will become the kingdom of God. The kingdom will expand in this world among believers but the world is not our friend. The world is our enemy. The Bible, the Word of God teaches that the, we believers should not regard the world as our friend. This present world is our enemy. For example, Jesus said in John 16, In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, you don't overcome your friend. You overcome your enemy. Here, Jesus, the Lord Jesus, conveys his view of the world. The world is a place in which the followers of Jesus will suffer and even be persecuted. As a matter of fact, Jesus was fighting against the world. He said, this is not my world. This is not my home. Because the world was his enemy and never was never his friend. In another place, the apostle John says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, I, I, I'm sure many of you are familiar with these verses. It says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride in life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Now here, 
the Apostle John makes it very clear that the love of the world and the love of the Father is mutually exclusive. One can only choose to love one or the other, never both the world and God at the same time. Because the world is an enemy to our love for the Father. It is because when we love the world, we cannot love God. And this principle is, is taught over and over again, especially in the book of, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, but when Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Listen to the language here, love and hate language. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Money symbolizes the world. You cannot love or serve God and money. You will hate, you will hate one and love the other. You see, the world is, 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 is a great danger to Christians because it constantly competes with God for the throne in our hearts. It gets in, 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 our, in our desire, it hinders our desire to love God and follow Christ. The love of the world kills our love for the Father. The love of the world kills our desire to follow Christ. So the world is not only our enemy, it's something that we should be really careful with. Now let me give you an example. It is good to be, to be carefully saving for the future, but it can easily turn your heart into idolatry. It is wise to save for the future, but that can easily deceive you if you're not careful, if I'm not careful, to cause us to worship money more than we worship God. The Apostle Paul knew very well about the danger of the world, not just in the religious or spiritual realm, but in the social realm as well. So how did he try to overcome the world or fight against the world? Interesting. The apostle, he tried to overcome the world by dying to it. And, and by living to Christ. We're in a battle. We're in a battle against the world. The world threatens us and attacks us every day, physically and spiritually. We're in a battle. The weapons of the world to attack us are such as temptations of all kinds, temptations for pleasure, wealth, power, or fear of all kinds, fear of insecurity or uncertainties. An illness, both physically and mentally. And how, how can we overcome the world? What is your strategy? What is, my strat what is our strategy to, to overcome the world, to win the world, 
to fight against the world. What is our strategy? How can we keep ourselves in God's grace and peace? Apostle talks about all the time in his epistles, grace and peace be with you, grace and peace be with you. And how can we remain in God's grace and peace? Why are there, are, are, there, are there so much fear and anxiety and worries in our lives? I think it is because of this. We're being deceived. We're often deceived into thinking that the way to overcome the world, the way to win against the world and fight against the world and, and overcome the world is by achieving the worldly things. This is our... This is our average mind. We're thinking that, oh, if I, have, if I can just make, you know, uh, save good enough money or have success and security, health and beauty, I can overcome the world. It's going to make me feel good and feel secure and make me feel happy and I will overcome the world. That's the, that's the worldly notion, general notion of, of winning the world, overcoming the world in the world. And we're buying into that. If you're not careful. We think that if we can achieve our goals, whether there is money or success or career or whatever, security, then we can overcome the world. We can be free from worries and fears and anxieties and, and depression. We can be free from all these by, by achieving the things of the world. Does it ever work? I mean, try that. Alexander McLaren, uh, McLaren uh, Scottish Baptist minister in, in the 19th century and the early 20th century, he says, Our notion of being victorious in life is when each man, according to his own ideal of what is best, manages to wring that ideal out of a reluctant world. The ultra-commercial ideal says, found a big business and make it pay. That is to conquer. Other notions, higher and nobler than that, or partaker of the same fallacy, that if a man can get the world, the sum of external things, into his grip and squeeze it as one does a grape, and get the last drop of sweetness out of it into his thirsty lips, he's a conqueror. Well, and you may get that all, whatever it is, that seems to you best, sweetest, most needful, needful, most toothsome and delightsome, you may get it all, and in a sense, you may have conquered the world, yet you may be utterly beaten and enslaved by it. In summary, when we try to overcome the world by achieving the things of the world, we'll end up by becoming, by, we'll end up becoming Slaves to the world. This happens all the time. 
even among believers. I've noticed that uh, you know many people come to Korea like like you know expats you know come to Korea as English teachers or soldiers or whatever and and, and come you know as as believers you know uh, you know come to church and serve and and you know they're talking about paying off their you know school loan and stuff you know which is good you know reasonable but I've noticed that some people are extra zealous for saving and making money and saving for their future. And, and they become greedy. And they are becoming more and more enslaved by the world. The peace and grace are fading away. And fear and, and greed and covetousness take to replace them. If we're not careful. And when they start having children, oh, I have children. I need to save, make, make more money and save. I mean, again, wisdom, you know, teaches us to prepare for the future. But we've got to be careful. Christ must take the center in our life. What we need to learn is how to die to the world and how to be alive to Christ. How to die to the world. That's very difficult. It's very difficult. And how do you do that? How, how does it happen? And how can we die to the world? How can we say the world's been crucified to me or being crucified to me? How can we say that? Well, we don't have the power to overcome the world. We don't have the power to have the world crucified to us. So what do we do? We have to go to the conqueror who, who overcame the world. And the only one who overcame the world is the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to go to him over and over again. And how can we know whether we are overcoming the world or being overcome by the world? And how can we know that? How can we know that we're winning the world or we're losing the battle? How can we know that? I think it's, it's not that difficult. When we are being overcome or enslaved by the world, there's no peace. There's no shalom. There's no peace in our lives. Peace is not for losers. Fear is for losers. If fear is growing, fear of not having enough, or fear of all sorts is growing in our lives, we are, being a, we are becoming a loser. Instead, if peace is growing and increasing in our lives, we're winning the world by, by the power of Jesus Christ. The false teachers who thought that one should be circumcised to be justified were in fear of the religious, religious Jews in the world. And greed and fear. That, those were their motivations. 
They try to build their lives on the affirmation of the world, not on Jesus Christ. In the same way, I'm afraid that many people in the church these days try to build their lives on the things of the world. Christianity can be their accessory. But fundamentally, they, they set their hearts on the things of the world. How do I know? I'm not a prophet, but how do I know? Because the distinguishing marks for many believers these days are not peace and grace, but fear and worries. It's because Christians often set their hearts on the things of the world, just as non-believers do. When the things of the world become the goal in life, not the means, then we will surely lose our battle against the world. You cannot have God's grace and peace apart from having Christ. We want, this is absurd. We often find ourselves. We want God's peace and grace with the things of the world. There's no such combination. When we want Christ and have him, peace and grace are there automatically. We cannot have Christ when we crave for the things of the world still. The Apostle Paul found this strength and pride in the cross of Jesus Christ, not in the things of the world. Now we want pride. We want pride, you know, we want confidence. Without having confidence, you cannot overcome the world. We, we need that. We need confidence. And we need pride. But Paul says in verse 14, Far be it from me to, to boast, talking about pride, to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which, not by his might, not by his own wisdom, but by which, by the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul meant to say that he found a way to overcome the world. There's a sure way to overcome the world. He found the true way to life. And Paul had learned the secret of winning the world through losing the world. When you want something so badly, you only become slaves to it. Paul regarded the things of the world only as the means in life. Money was, he needed money as a means. He needed health as a means. He needed fame as a means. But his goal was to know Christ Jesus and to please him. Now this week I was blessed to re and blessed and challenged as a matter of fact by reading book, the book of Galatians and especially chapter 3 listen to God's words in, in Galatians chapter 3 if then you have been raised with Christ seek the things that are above Now we're going to seek anyways we're going to seek anyways no one can stop seeking 
For he says, Seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. The whole purpose of, of, of Paul's letter to the Galatians, even through, we've been going through the book of Galatians for more than several weeks, I think is summarized in verse 18. Paul says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. I think that's the purpose, state, purpose statement. He wants God's grace be with his, his brothers and sisters. Now, you and I can ask this question to ourselves. Is God's grace with our spirit? Is God's peace in our heart? Now, you cannot separate grace and peace. You cannot have grace while not having peace. Or you cannot have peace while not having grace. It comes together. They both come together. You, you can only have grace and peace. Never grace or peace. It comes together. Grace and peace come together. If God's grace and peace are not abundantly present in our life, it is largely because in some ways we have made the world our friend. We should turn our eyes to Jesus and look to him more. And to be more specific, his word should dwell in us more and more, more richly in our lives. And more of our time needs to be set aside for our spiritual communion with, with him. You can test yourself. In the morning, spend one hour in the word and prayer. And next day, spend no time in the word and prayer. And you will feel the differences. It doesn't depend on us. It depends on the word of God. And I don't however, I don't think this kind of change should happen just to meet our own needs and just to make us happier. I don't think that should be the primary goal. All this should happen because of his love for us and because of our love for him. Love should be our motivation. Not just, not just make us feel happier or not just have, or have more peace. I mean, we want that, but nothing wrong with wanting that. But our primary goal should to know him and to know his love and to love him. That should be our motivation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for teaching us once again and admonishing us through your word. Lord, we know that you're a good God and good Father who wants to give us good things. You want to give us the genuine blessing. Lord, help us to Understand your will and your heart and help us to, to look to Christ more and to embrace him more deeply 
because that's the only way we can overcome the world. Otherwise, we'll be enslaved to the world. Help us to be able to say with Paul that the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Help us to live the life that is winning, truly winning the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.